about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. John chapter 14, page 1068, and verse 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas the Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Uh, The second Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Uh, great to church with you tonight. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been tracking through this letter, this ancient letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians on what it was to live out gospel freedom. And I think it's a powerful word for us tonight as we dig in. Now, some of you will know that I used to be an engineer, and every now and again, you are blessed by my engineering background, and tonight I have for you a graph. <laughs> well, it's not, a very, it's not a very nice graph. Um, this appeared in my Facebook feed a few weeks ago, and is the product of uh, a, some surveys done by a group called Natural Church Development. They surveyed 2 million people across 80 countries over several years, and they came up with this. It seems to say that the longer you're a Christian, the longer you're in church, the weaker your spiritual development, the less your spiritual hunger, the less you grow. What do you make of it? Perhaps if you're new to church, love that you're here, you might be thinking, this is not very inspiring, what have I got myself into? Uh, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you kind of, you feel this a bit. You feel like you've plateaued and kind of started to, I don't know, not feel the groove that you felt before. Or maybe you're the counter-narrative. I spoke to one person this morning who just said, that's not me at all. I was like, praise God. Uh, maybe, maybe you're not yet a believer and you're, and you're here and you've got a bunch of questions, you're skeptical, great that you're here. What do you make of this? Maybe this is just a product of Christianity being institutionalized. that kind of just becomes that, that thing, that machine. Or maybe it's just not progressive enough. So of course you'd expect that. Whatever the case might be, we're not here tonight to discern this particular research. I just couldn't help but notice the parallel between this appearing in my Facebook feed while I'm preparing this talk, uh, where Paul is actually saying, you started with such spiritual fervor, and now you've, you've, you've abandoned that. And you're trying to do it in your own strength, and it's not going well. For Paul, he didn't need to do this massive survey. He just applied the gospel, and he saw a gospel problem in the Galatians, such that he starts off, you fools, you fools, how did you leave that behind? Over the last couple of weeks, I've been preaching through the last couple of passages in Galatians, and I've loved this kind of this preaching, that block, this kind of central part of Galatians. We started off with uh, just the simplicity of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that he died for your sins, and he rose to new life to raise you to new life. Last week, we looked at sort of zooming in a little bit further, but what it meant for Jesus not to be crucified just in history, 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, but how Paul could say, we are crucified with him and we are raised to new life with him. What he was talking about there is we are united with Christ. It's deeply personal intimacy with God, as it were. And because of what Christ has done, we are now right with the Father. Today we zoom in again. It's like it goes deeper every step. And this time we see 
how it is that we're united with Christ, how it is that he dwells in us. Tonight, he speaks of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit fills us and how we are to live in the Spirit. And so, tonight I'm going to take Paul's lead and I'm just going to, I'm actually going to do the first five verses of this passage and drill into the work of the Spirit that we might be encouraged, that we might be uh, enriched from the inside out on what God is doing for us and in us through the work of the Spirit. I'm excited to speak on the Spirit tonight. It was a joy to kind of, just over the last week, to, to, to dig deep, to be thankful for what God has done for me and in me. And I tell you, I've never left so much on the cutting room floor, so let's get started. The Spirit, the work of the Spirit. I kind of, just to kind of get us on the same page, you know, if you, if you look at the work of the Spirit through the Scriptures, page one of the Bible, of history, there is the Spirit hovering over the waters. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is God's personal presence dwelling in creation, breathing vitality into the world, bringing about life and transformation and beauty so that over the darkness of those waters in Genesis 1, the Spirit moves, God breathes, and up comes land and living creatures and humanity even made in God's image. I want you to do some sort of mindfulness stuff here. Take, take a deep breath for me. Big breath. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels good. If you look at the Hebrew word behind spirit, it's ruach, which means breath, energy. When you take that deep breath, you're reminded of that life-sustaining breath, that kind of energizing, vitalizing breath. And it's a good analogy. That's why the words kind of overlap with how God breathes his sustaining, vitalizing, energizing life into the world. And as we see the Scriptures unfold, we see particular people anointed with the Spirit so that they can do amazing things, whether it be artistry or, or kind of craft, and they do amazing things in the temple. Or, or particularly look at the prophets and how God's Word breathed is breathed into them, that they might breathe God's Word, vitalizing Word to God's people. Sometimes a hard word, but it's God's good word nonetheless. Or if we get all the way to Jesus, and there we see him being baptized, and the God the Father says, you are my son who, whom I'm pleased. And the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and we have Father, Son, and Spirit in unison, all acting for our good, out of the richness over the overflow of God's love within himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. And from that moment... Jesus is propelled as the Spirit-empowered one to breathe life into our broken world. To get alongside the broken and heal. To get alongside the, the sick and the suffering. The destitute, the possessed. And that he might even speak words of life to people such that they repent and turn away from darkness and find themselves in the kingdom of the Son as the Spirit moves uh, from Jesus. Of course, we see that most clearly when, when Jesus is, dies, the Spirit raises him to new life, and at the right hand of the Father, he now pours out his Spirit so that all the who believe in Jesus might be filled with God's Ruach, his energy, his presence, his vitalizing Spirit. And one of the things that 
that first passage that Alex read out to us, reminds us that the Spirit is not just some kind of inanimate force, but a person. Because in that passage, Jesus is speaking about the one who will come after. He will teach you. He will remind you. I remember just a few years ago, I hit, I hit this passage and it was just like this fresh revelation of, of what was going on then and kind of for me. Because I would have loved to have been one of the disciples. I'm kind of a bit of a Peter guy. I'm kind of constantly sort of running over the hill and Jesus saying, no, mate, you got it wrong. Come back. And I would have loved that experience. But Jesus is saying, do not be afraid when I go because my work will continue in you because of the one I will send you. Jesus is walking alongside us. He is guiding us by the work of the Spirit sent to dwell within us. That we might be revitalized, re-energized, given new life, experience God's presence in our life. And this is central to, to Paul's argument to the Galatians. He says, brothers and sisters, you've experienced this. You know what I'm talking about. You have started in the Spirit. And he gives three examples of kind of the way the Spirit has worked in their lives to remind them what it means to enter into the Christian faith. Look with me. Keep your, keep your Bibles open with me, yeah? So chapter 3, verse 1, foolish Galatians. He says, Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He's the first example of the work of the Spirit. Because they weren't there at the foot of the cross to see with their own eyes literally Jesus crucified. How is it that he can write before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified? He was portrayed as crucified because of the work of the Spirit. They didn't just know about Jesus, looking up in some Wikipedia article or kind of just hearsay on the streets. No, they had encountered Jesus through the work of the Spirit. And you see this really clearly in, in, in sort of Pentecost as well, where, where Peter kind of speaks to the crowd and after he kind of shares the good news of Jesus dying for them, they don't just say, that's interesting, fascinating stuff, Peter, thank you. They are cut to the heart. The work of the Spirit so, so causes them to encounter Jesus that they respond to him personally. They are cut to the heart. There's a song that we sometimes sing. I think we even sing it tonight, actually. How deep the Father's love for me. There's a line in there that says, my sin that held him there. It is a work of the Spirit to help us realize that we have participated in the reason why Jesus went to the cross. And it's a work of the Spirit that we realize what he has done for us in paying such a price. When I was 14 years old, I went on a camp with a bunch of other young boys and it was kind of this wild, there was like 400 of us in Perth. And uh, it was like uh, just a whole week of kind of crazy shenanigans. Um, maybe a little bit too crazy. One guy, one leader said of me, see that boy there, he doesn't have the spirit. I'm not sure why he said that. It's a bit rude. But anyway, um, <laughs> to be a teenager. But by the end of that camp, the preacher spoke of Jesus' death for me. And I, I've known Jesus for as long as I can remember. By the way he spoke of Jesus, it just hit me like a train. And there I am, this macho 14-year-old boy, weeping at the end of this camp. Weeping. 
because I encountered freshly Jesus Christ crucified for me. That is a work of the Spirit in us as we encounter Jesus, as we are bound up with him. It's also a work of the Spirit to convict us. Just a couple of chapters after that passage read out from John 14, Jesus says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Part of breathing life into us is helping us realize, be aware of our need for life. Sometimes his word, his vitalizing word, is a, is a heavy word in us. As we see Christ crucified before us, but he's not the accuser, the way Satan is described in scriptures. No, he's the comforter, because as much as he makes us aware of our sin, convicts us, he also points us to Christ crucified, the great healer, redeemer, that we might find refreshment for our souls, that we might find forgiveness and new life and grace and love, no matter what we've done. God's presence in the Spirit is dynamic, powerful, transformative as we encounter the living God through his work in us. If you've encountered Jesus Christ crucified, then that is a work of the Spirit in you. The second thing that Paul points the Galatians to in their own experience, let's go down to verse 5. Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because of what you heard? He's able to say, you, God has performed great miracles among you. You know what I'm talking about, he says, effectively. He's able to uh, speak of the work of the Spirit manifesting in miracles among them. And again, this kind of makes sense, right? When, when Jesus um, was baptized, as I referred to, in the next chapter in Luke, uh, he, he's back in hometown and he opens up a scroll to sort of preach in the local synagogue and he pulls out Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Of course, he's reading this as it's fulfilled in Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And there he goes, empowered by the Spirit, to perform great miracles, to set the captives free, to breathe new life into a broken world. And there is certainly a cluster of these miracles in the early church. Through Acts, which we've just spent the last six months in, we saw amazing things happen, such that even Peter's handkerchief, the kind of the shadow of it, would heal people. Crazy stuff, right? But all of that was to testify that God really is at work here. This really is a sign of God. He really is present and he really cares. Now, there's a particularity to that in the early church. And, and Paul's able to say to the Galatians, just, you know, descriptively of what's happened, you, you know what I'm talking about. Miracles are happening in your midst. We don't have that kind of same cluster, that same manifestation today, but I'm certainly open to the same spirit working great things among us. A number of years back, in a few churches back even, there was a young man um, who was dearly loved by the church, and he broke his neck in the most serious way, mountain biking. The doctor said he'll never walk again. And we were kind of grieved for him. So such a young guy. And so we got together and we prayed and we prayed. And within two weeks, he was making the most remarkable recovery, blew the doctors away. And now he rides mountain bikes and races them. (laughs) Now, I've also come together as churches to pray over things, really horrendous things, 
And God hasn't answered our prayers like that. But I remain open that the same Spirit would work miracles, work marvels, because the Spirit is in the business of transforming us, of breathing life into us. The third reason that Paul's able to say, you started in the Spirit. Verse 4. Have you suffered so much for nothing? The word suffered there, this is an old version of the NIV. The new one in most translations will say, have you experienced so much for nothing? This general kind of experience, not just suffered, but experienced things. He's able to say to the Galatians, you've experienced great things, many things, and all of that a result of the Spirit. See, the Spirit's work applies the objective truth and reality of Jesus Christ crucified into your life so that you might experience forgiveness, love, transformation. It's a beautiful thing, and Paul's able to refer to it. It's kind of like you get the picture of the Galatians having this shared experience, a common vitality in the Spirit, that they can remember the glory days, as it were, for for Galatia. Now, the red cordial version of this for me is Beach Mission. That's where I met my wife, Kelly. If you want to ask me the convoluted story later, that's fun. But on that kind of beach mission, this kind of space where a bunch of Christians who didn't know each other beforehand kind of, you know, converged on this space, this gospel outpost in the middle of a caravan park in the middle of summer holidays, there was this spiritual energy in, in the team. It was beautiful. As a leader of the team, there were times where kind of the heavens were about to open in a bad way on our events that we hadn't, you know, meticulously planned. And here I am thinking, okay, we're going to plan a logistics operation here to get around this. And I turn around to kind of speak to my team and they're all huddled in prayer. They're praying that God would work his greatness despite what's going on. When you would have conversations with people, you would, you would sense this kind of this excitement, this expectation, because God had been at work so clearly in their conversations beforehand, they're looking forward to the next thing despite being exhausted or being uh, just difficult times. Spiritual kind of conversation was weaved into general conversation. I loved it. It was beautiful. And it's like all of this was on offer to the Galatians. All of it by believing. Two times Paul says, um, did you get the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? If you want to know, do you have the Spirit in you? Then you don't need to ask questions like, well, have I spoken in tongues or have I performed miracles or have I seen great things? You just need to ask, do I believe in Christ crucified for me? as my Lord and Savior. Because if you can do that, then it's the Spirit who has empowered you to see Jesus for who He is, to see your need for Him, and to respond in faith. That is a great work of the Spirit, the most foundational work of the Spirit, that you will be brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. That is the work of the Spirit. And everything comes after that. There's three reasons, just simple reasons, that Paul's able to say, you started in the Spirit, but you've moved on. You've moved on from life in the Spirit to to life in your own strength. What are you doing? Who has bewitched you? Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now you're doing it in your own strength. You've seen great works of miracles. You've had great experiences of the Spirit in your midst. And now you're going on in your own strength, 
doing works of the law, approving yourself, trying to find God's approval, all in your own confidence. He's like, what the heck? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish in the flesh, outside of Jesus? This isn't some small deviation. Paul is outraged. How could you possibly move on from life in the Spirit? I guess I've I've heard things like this. You know, when I came to Christ, it was only about grace and I was free and filled with joy. But before too long, the freedom of grace was replaced by the burdens of the law. Kind of, it felt routine, mundane. I was dragged down, lost the joy. Why? Why? Why do we fall into this trap as well? You know, my Christian life has been up and down. Maybe yours too. But why would anyone move on from life in the Spirit to life in their own strength again? Maybe you, maybe you just domesticate Jesus. Like, as glorious as he once was betrayed before you, he just becomes part of the furniture in the room of life. He's just another thing to be collected. I remember chatting to one guy a couple of churches back who kind of just put it so eloquently and disturbingly as, I've stopped reading the Bible because I just I get the gist of it. I get the vibe. I'm okay. Close down that openness before Jesus because Jesus has just become a thing that he understood, he's mastered, moved on from. Maybe, maybe church performance has become a thing for you. For me, it's very easy to look at the, my contemporaries preaching, preachers on the net, and kind of measure myself accordingly. Am I doing okay? Am I a great Christian? Am I being all that I can be? Maybe you're just overwhelmed by life. You know, for a season in my life, when I had particularly young kids, I'd come to work, to, work, to church, uh, sleep-deprived and kind of just, just battling to even be there. And I couldn't hear the sermon because I was looking after young kids. And I didn't want to talk to people, even though I was an extroverted, because I was just everything was in grey. And I just hated life for a moment there. Sleep-deprived, going nuts, listening to too much screaming. Maybe, maybe life for you is just overwhelming. But what's, what's Jesus got to say to you? How do we as a people encourage people in that predicament? Maybe you're still trying to steer the wheel. Maybe in making Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've kind of, you've got on top of that, so you think, and, and you've still got your career goals, you've still got this self-actualization you kind of want to get on with. You'll only be awesome if you can do X, Y, and Z. Maybe you're trying to, maybe you recognize that you've lost the love a bit and you're trying to fix it by doing stuff. Kind of what the Galatians are doing. I was watching this show on Netflix the other night with Kel about uh, hoarders. Great show to watch if you're feeling bad about your house being messy because you feel much better after that. And this guy, I kid you not, he had a garage full of the most amazing tools. And the, well, the handyman on the show is like, what do you got? I don't even have these tools. What are you doing this for? Seriously, amazing tools. I was like, I want that. And he goes, I want to be the kind of guy who can fix my house and fix my family. <laughs> it's so easy, isn't it? To be the fixer, the doer, when instead of being in relationship, and tending to that listening. Maybe you're looking in at the church and you're seeing its failings and Jesus looks less glorious. There's certainly plenty of examples in the press and in the church to make you think that. Or maybe it's just that the rest of the world looks like they're doing better off without Jesus. They're nice people. 
They're living freer, happier lives. Whatever reason, you're moving away from Jesus to life in your own strength. The foundation is the confidence on which we stand. It's either in Jesus or it's in our own strength. It's either in the spirit or in the flesh. The thing is, there is no getting around the gospel. No getting beyond it. No mastering it. No going under it. Paul is calling them back to the same spirit that they began in. That they would continue in the spirit. And he's saying, would you continue trusting? Just as you did at the beginning. You received the spirit by by believing what you heard. Would you keep doing that? For God's presence is in you. You know, one of the insights I gained myself from, you know, working through the last passage was that if Christ really is in us by His Spirit, if we really are united in Him, that dis- then, then it is true that despite and beyond my own circumstances, I should believe that He will resource me from the inside out because He is Lord of all and He has blessed us with His presence in our life. We need to keep receiving. We need to stay open to God, lest we get on things with our own strength and close ourselves down to God to say, we've got this covered. Very rarely will we find ourselves at a particular crossroad where we will say, I'm going to go in the spirit or I'm going to go in the flesh. Instead, it's this slow kind of descent into just becoming self-confident. Paul is saying, keep in step with the spirit. Keep walking in him. Stay confident in what Christ has done for you, for it is sufficient. And now he dwells in you. And as I look at the three examples that, that Paul gave, I can see two, the, how to do kind of the, the fleshly life or life in the spirit in each example. And it's quite interesting to work through. Take, for instance, seeing Christ crucified. And let's say that kind of, Let's say you see Christ crucified and you feel God saying to you, Mike, you've got anger issues. And you're seeing, you're sort of feeling the conviction there. And sure, maybe that's true. God said that to me at times. The version of life in the flesh, the fleshly response is to say, okay, so I've got some anger issues. I'm going to sort of I'm going to go do some homework. I'm going to come up with a five-step plan on how to be a less angry Mike. And then I'll be all right. Now, there might be wisdom in the world to tap into. But instead of doing that, Paul is saying, keep in step with the Spirit. Keep pressing into the same Spirit you, you believed in, who filled you with life at the beginning. Keep believing in the same Gospel. Don't get beyond it. Don't go around it. And it might look something like this, praying that the, the Spirit would discern in your heart why it is that you're angry. What it is that you fear losing, what it is that you're holding on to that's more precious than Jesus, what it is that you're worshipping in your life. So the same gospel that you believed in is the same gospel that you apply again and again in your life. It's the same spirit who regenerated you at the beginning who will continue to transform you time and time again. Do not continue in your own strength, but keep coming back to Jesus. And his spirit in you. 
that he will transform you and revitalize you and transform you. Isn't that miracle work? I mean, I gave an example of, of kind of uh, where I've seen kind of the Spirit do amazing things in the church. But I don't want to make miracles as the marker of spiritual living, unless we kind of feel bad for kind of like not having as many miracles among us. Remember, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. He's able to say, you've seen what's happened before. He's not promising it'll always be like this. But what I see instead in the spiritual life is an expectancy. I saw that quite clearly, actually. Remember the combined service a couple of weeks ago? Naomi stood up here from the 1045 service. And she shared how when she comes to church on a Sunday morning, she is praying that God will so move in her that she would be used to share her story, the good news in her, and connect with people around her that she might be a blessing to them. And when she leaves church that day, she's able to thank God for the way the Spirit has moved in His people, the way He's connected her with others, and the way He's empowered her to share the good news of Jesus with people. There's some powerful stories as I chatted with Naomi in the weeks before and after that that just blew me away. She, for me, modeled that expectancy, that spirit-filled expectancy. It's quite different to life in the flesh, in our own strength. How about experiences? What kind of experiences can we draw upon as people with lives in the spirit, living in the spirit? There's so much fleshly conversation among us. Now, Paul will say physical training is of some value. And if you want to come do some weights with me in my garage, I love that stuff. If you want to talk just kind of, you know, life, that's fine. I'm, I'm keen for that. But let that not be the predominant thing in our conversation. What would it take for our conversations to be seasoned with the Spirit? Why don't I hear from my own lips or from the lips of others things like, I feel the Spirit is convicting me. <laughs> There's a conversation starter. Or I feel the Spirit is leading me. I feel unsettled. Or I feel elated. And if that's kind of too subjective, for you, too uncomfortable, let it drive you into God's Word. The same Spirit authored this, I might add. That you might actually drive into the very character of God, explore Him as He reveals our true selves. Actually, that's kind of the model that Paul gives for being prophecy, but that's another thing. Whatever your experiences are, whether you're flatlining, whether you're kind of feeling elated, or whether you're feeling kind of down, let me remind you that by faith, God has promised to fill you with His Spirit. If you're feeling elated right now, I, kind of, I feel this example. Um, I was just reading one of the Puritans, you know, preacher from a couple hundred years back, and he shared this example, which I really identified with as a father. And he said, when a father lifts up their child and says, son, I love you, in that moment, the son gleefully delights in being the child of the father. But is that child any more or less the son? No. Just is filled with the joy of that moment, being particularly embraced by the father. You might be feeling that right now for a whole range of reasons. But if you're not feeling that, are you any less a child of God? No. If you are filled with his spirit, then you are indeed a child of God, having been adopted into God's family. That's where Paul's going to go in the coming chapters. But maybe if you're, kind of, if you're feeling in this wintry season right now, maybe that kind of graph is true for you. I'm hoping you're richly encouraged by the promise that God is filling you with His Spirit. 
I was reading a book on kind of spiritual rhythms. And the author reminded me that when you're in these wintry seasons, when there's no fruit and there's kind of the, the, the leaves have all gone, you can see the twisted branches of your life and you can work out what's knotted in there. You can see it for what it is. You can see what you're holding on to quite clearly. In those moments, don't just try and fix it. Ask God, what are you teaching me? What are you showing me? And see where the Spirit guides you. In community, with his word open, as he discerns your heart and breathes vitality into you. (laughs) Friends, if you believe in Jesus, you are a spiritual people. And keep moving forward in the Spirit. As we think about moving forward, we've been talking a bit about 2019. We're saying pray, we're saying serve, we're saying give. We want to, don't just get into doing. That's got to be the overflow of you know, what God's doing in your life. But as we're kind of sitting in the, in the staff team and we're, kind of, we're asking the question, what kind of church do we want to be in 2019? That's, kind of, that's a classic danger question. What kind of church do we want to be in our strength? <laughs> There's good things that came out of that. But in the midst of that conversation, when all my engineering analytical brains going, yes, we could do this, 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 this. Dan pipes up, little Dan, the musician who looks after music across the church. He said, can I, can I share something that God's put on my heart? He said, a couple of weeks ago, God gave me this, this vision, this picture, this image of a heart on fire. And he drew a little picture on the board. And we'd all just kind of, it was just stilled as we looked at this picture. And we pondered what it would look like for a church to be filled with people with their hearts on fire, hearts aflame, as the Spirit works in us. The thing is, we can't produce a program that will make that happen. We can't manufacture that result. Instead, all we can do is stay open to God as He pours Himself into us. It's a beautiful vision, isn't it? As we are expectant of what God might do among us as He fills us with His Spirit, and as we walk in the Spirit. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.